0: This is a podcast by well House Church, where certain things are fixed, the essentials of faith, and the best beer is served on tap, while everything
1: else is just a matter
0: of perspective. What's cracking beer lovers? Hey,
1: what's going on? You
0: didn't get yourself a coaster. I got myself a
1: koozie after we talked about the beer. Oh, really? I was just like, what? what? Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, let's talk about these beers. Let's do you it. What
1: you, what you got?
0: So, still the 12 Days of Christmas um, beer from Clown Shoes, Um, but shout out
1: mom and dad. Yep, shout Shout out out mom and dad. All thing, all supporter of all things Wellhouse Church.
0: Yep. I am so excited for this. I am so excited. Bavarian style IPA. Yeah. I have no idea what to expect.
1: Uh I feel like
0: I feel like it's gonna be su- like the malt is gonna be sweeter, yeah, but it's gonna be balanced out by the hops, yeah, I think so, and it's gonna create this like juxtaposition in the can, and like i'm I'm really excited, yeah, I think it's gonna be fabulous um of course, the art on it is fantastic,
1: is it still lore based I don't think so, well, reindeer, Santa Claus, yeah, that
0: yeah, 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 I guess it's so. lore based, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. um. So, really cool. Uh, I can't even begin to explain to you what's happening on this can. Um, It's pure chaos. It's pure Christmas chaos. Yeah. But What's it called? The um, Reindeer. Reindeer Games. Reindeer Games, yeah. Um, Yeah, that's (laughs) lore-based. It's definitely lore-based. I am very excited, though. Um, Yeah, it is 7%. I don't know. I'm excited.
1: Let's do it. Uh, I'm here for it. I've actually really enjoyed all of, all of the, literally everything about Clown Shoes. Yeah. Everything the,
0: we've had from Clown Shoes so far, I've really enjoyed.
1: The branding's been great. I mean, literally, everything's been perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, I'm trying to...
0: He's trying to pull up his own Beer Advocate.
1: No, I'm actually trying to pull it up on Clown Shoes. Oh. Um,
0: it's actually not a bad idea.
1: It does not allow me... Mm, yeah, it doesn't give... It doesn't give, um, because it's a special release, it doesn't detail it out the way that it does on all the other ones. I'll figure it out. But I have, and this one I'm excited about, it's called The Barista. Nice. And it's a brown ale, which you know I love brown ales, with espresso. And it's definitely lore-based... Because, well, number one, she, the barista, is wearing clown shoes.
0: Yeah, she's wearing clown shoes and she's got wings. And she
1: has wings.
0: That's cool.
1: Um, So, once again, everything about them is lore based. Um, Love it. But it says, oh, this one actually has a little blurb. Oh, cool. About it. It says, the barista, the breakfast brown ale. Ale brewed with espresso, oatmeal, and milk sugars. Hmm. So it's going to be a milk stout that has espresso in it. Yeah. Um, And it is 8.5% ABV. Nice. Drink responsibly, kids.
0: Yeah, for sure. So I pulled up uh, Reindeer Games on their website, and this is what they say. Yes, we all know what the Super Bowl of Reindeer is. But did you know that they also have an Olympics?
1: Ooh. How'd you find it?
0: I just Google. I just tried yours. I couldn't find it either. I just Googled Clown Shoes Reindeer Games, and their website popped up. But I couldn't find the barista. Um, but, yeah, it's a beautiful malt forward and red-hued IPA, apparently. I'm probably about to go get a glass because hmm. um, it says it's red-hued, and I kind of want to... Just yeah, grab me one
1: too because I want to see how brown it is. Okay, um,
0: and the hops that are in it are Saz Man- Mandarina and um, Mosaic, so I I actually have high hopes for how this is going to balance
1: out. Okay, so I found this is what it says on Beer Advocate about the uh, the barista. It says a clown shoes legend, Brown Angel. Put away her dancing shoes to focus on extracting expre- espresso, brewing coffee, and pouring latte art with zen-like focus. The Barista Breakfast Brown is crafted with Morris Otter Malt, ooh, flaked oatmeal, cold-brewed espresso, milk sugars, and the spirit of the angel wings. That's freaking cool. I love that it's all lore-based.
0: That's so cool. All right. Cheers, Cheers. buddy.
1: Andrew Barrett, you're welcome. We're pouring in glasses.
0: Yeah. Pretentious.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Actually, Andrew, we're talking. um, Andrew... I'm going to try to work it out. He may become a regular on practicing presence.
0: On practicing presence?
1: Yep. He. We were talking the other day, and he um, says that he thinks his heart and what he's majority of the time doing at um, Trinity is... That is, is perfect support. Look at that. Yep, mine too. Is spiritual formation. But, oh, that's really dark. Well, that's really cool. So, yeah.
0: Yo, this is... That definitely has
1: a red hue to it.
0: This is pretty.
1: Ooh. I got, mm, ooh. Lots of nose.
0: Yeah, me too. Malt sweetness comes out very forward on the nose, but then the, the backbone of the hops is.
1: Ooh, mine's really good. Oh,
0: wow. I really like this. Uh, yeah, me
1: too. Um, traditional milk stout flavor. Mm-hmm. However, I mean, even even the silkiness that normally comes with the texture of milk stouts, mm-hmm. very prevalent. It's hitting all the spots for me. The coffee, the espresso note literally perfect mm. not too forward, not overpowering, definitely an amazing compliment <sighs> eight three
0: wow, that's big for you yeah
1: it it's really good if you if you like Browns and if you like. Milk stouts. Mm-hmm. It... it I will say, I get that they're using Mars Otter. Right. And so that's why they're calling it a brown. It, it feels and tastes more stout-like. Yeah. So if you like stouts and you like that kind of heavier beer... I mean, even look at it. It doesn't look like... It doesn't look like a brown. It looks stout-like. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's... It's a little... It's a little on the light side because it's yeah. not black. I can kind of see through it. Mm-hmm. But... It it on
0: camera it probably looks like a stout.
1: Probably, I, I mean, maybe if I hold it in certain lighting where you the light is just perfect and you can kind of see the brown hue in it. But yeah, it it's got like the same
0: colors like a Scottish ale.
1: Yes, it, if you like stouts, you would really you like will that. love That's this. a like. little bit lighter, but yes,
0: this is an IPA for people who want to get into ipas
1: oh okay
0: this is think of an irish red
1: oh oh heavily hopped. oh yeah Um, i would be here for that is it super sweet no okay it's balanced it's
0: perfectly balanced i would be here for that it the the bavarian malt right is super sweet yeah on its own, uh-huh. um, but when you balance it out with the hops, um, it creates, like I was saying, exactly like I was expecting this sort of juxtaposition here. Um, I really like it a lot. I'm, I'm probably sitting um, at 8.5 in its category.
1: Ooh.
0: 8.5, man. I think this, this would not be a quintessential IPA. Oh, okay. Okay. It's uh, yeah. It's definitely doing something different, but it is something that every beer drinker should experience.
1: Love it, love it. All right. Well, let's finish up this conversation about God, and the knowledge of God, uh, the kind of transcendental, transcendental elements of God's nature versus immanence. And what all of it? What does all of this mean? Because um, I think lots of the time we have these theological conversations, and not we Wauhauz Church. We, we got a rep. We still got a rep. Yeah, got a rep. Got a rep. There we go. Your um, out. But I I think that lots of times we end up having these conversations and I remember this being like a major qualm for me. Mm-hmm. And this is why I always try to do these final thoughts episodes because I remember sitting in church or Bible studies or whatever and leaving going, what was the point of me receiving that information? <laughs> do you remember those moments? Yeah. I, I just remember yeah, going I like, why, why did I sit through that? Here's why you sat through, what, like six weeks, seven weeks of really in-depth theological conversations about God and his knowledge. Mm -hmm. Because I personally think that there's a spectrum, of which I don't think anywhere on the spectrum gets you outside of the creeds right? unless you say God is not and has never been. The omnis. Mm-hmm. You're not outside the creeds. If you say that, think you're outside the creeds. Because I think the almighty piece of the first section of the creeds kind of encompasses these. Okay. I think that's the heart of the message. Um, but I, the creeds definitely do not condemn self-limitation. Right. So... The reason we had this conversation is because I actually think that how you make up God's omnis actually really affect and impact the way that you build your relationship with God. Mm. Um, This is not true for everyone. But based upon the conversations that I've had with people, I think the majority of people... That have a much more transcendent view of God. The relationship element. Yeah. Is not as prominent. Right. Um, And also. I don't want to say that the ethical component is lacking, but it's definitely different. Right. This is the conversation we were just having on. Let's talk this week. Mm hmm. If, if God is uber transcendent, then not only is the relationship piece much less, because the ultimate extreme of transcendence is that God's the puppet master up there and he's doing what he wants no matter what. Mm. So I don't really have to have a relationship. Mm. Even if I hear the kind of token sermon of like, oh, you need to pray. Mm. The theological construct doesn't actually mean that I need that.
0: Right. That, that was something growing up in the theological construct that I was handed that never made sense to me. Correct. Right? Like, if God's going to do what God's going to do, why do I have to pray for it? And I remember asking that question, having people tell me, well, he, he still wants you to pray. Yeah. Okay, but why?
1: Yeah. 100%. Yeah. I, th- I think that's most people that have a like an uber-transcendent view of God. Right. Um, the people that have a much more imminent view of God... Have chosen to have that imminent view of God because, because they want God in the passenger seat. Hmm. Um, They want that relational element of God. They don't, and I say this all the time I don't need God to be powerful. Yeah. Or, I don't need him to be all powerful. I need him to be powerful enough to reconcile the world to himself. Mm-hmm. But that's a that's a far cry from being the great puppeteer in the sky.
0: Yeah, obviously God had to be that at one point, though, right? To be creator, God. Um. My,
1: well, and so I even this though. I I learned this recently, and I'm battling with it. The the sleeve that I've designed, I actually have given myself over to this. I'll explain it in a minute. But you were taught, if I had to guess, you were probably taught that God created ex nihilo.
0: Out of that God theory.
1: created out of nothing. Mm-hmm. If you grew up as an American Christian or in any kind of... um because I'm feeling feisty today, I'm going to call it colonization of American Christians (laughs) upon other cultures. Um, If you grew up or had any kind of experience with that, I think colonization.
0: (laughs) I'm sorry. That's so funny to me. Why? Uh, Is it not though? No, it is. It, I mean, even yes. the
1: fact that we self-imposed the need for democracy upon um, a country that didn't want it. Yeah. I mean, like, just all of it. Like, it, it's very colonization-like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, It was just funny. I is. just thought it was funny. Yeah, it is funny. What were we talking about before that?
0: <laughs> uh, ex nihilo. Ex oh, nihilo. ex
1: nihilo. Yeah. If if you grew up in any kind of American Christianity or have been impacted by our colonization efforts, um, you will have probably been given that narrative that God created out of nothing. Yeah, um, that's a very Greek idea. Mm-hmm. Best that I can tell now, and I will I will preface this: I'm not a Hebrew scholar, right? I. I read the Old Testament because I think it's the foundation of the faith um, in that it's the beginning of the story of which we've arisen from. Um, the culmination of that foundation is found in Jesus. But So I read the Old Testament because it's the beginning of the story, but I'm not a Hebrew scholar. Right. Best I can tell, Hebrew culture and tradition did not think that God made ex nihilo, that God created ex nihilo. Mm. If you actually read the Genesis 1 narrative, I'm actually going to pull it up. This is a little bit of a sidetrack, but I actually think it's relevant to the conversation. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and the darkness covered the face of the deep while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters.
0: So there is water already present
1: there's some kind of matter already present mm-hmm. now as we go on it says then God said let there be light and there was light and God said that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness Darkness also exists right but like from a scientific method right darkness is the absence of light so it would make right. sense that darkness existed. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. Verse 6, And God said, Let there be a dome in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the water. So God made the dome and separated the waters that were under the dome from the waters that were above the dome, and it was so. So God, God called the dome sky, and there was evening and there was morning. Now, something you have to understand about the Israelite people and Hebrew culture. They are afraid of the sea. Mm. They are land people. They are nomadic. Right. They they're not sea travelers. They're not Phoenicians. They're not Philistines. They don't live on the coast. Mm-hmm. Um, they travel to the coast mm. for import, export the king's highway by the time you get to solomon the king's highway goes literally through the middle of their territory right so they have access to many trade routes they're afraid of water right why would a people without modern technology be afraid of water in the sea because you can't control it
0: i was i was wondering if that's where you were going
1: yeah They viewed the sea as chaos. chaos. Yeah. Think back to your Job narrative. Mm -hmm. Why is the Leviathan being in the water such a cry? Because it's chaos. Because it's scary. It's chaos. Hebrew culture did not view God as a creator ex nihilo. That's a Greek idea. Hebrew culture viewed God Mm. from the onset as a restorer. Yeah, someone who takes chaos and creates something good.
0: He creates order out of chaos.
1: In a Greek world, where God creates ex nihilo, He's transcendent. He's transcendent. Mm. In a Hebrew culture, where God's a restorer of people and orderer of things in chaos, that's a much more eminent view of God. Because God's already concerned about the things of which, for lack of a better metaphor, he happened upon. So what
0: you're saying right now is that um, how you view God's eminence or transcendence even affects down to creation.
1: Oh, it affects everything. Now, oh, okay. they're not mutually exclusive. Right, 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 right. Because right. Hebrew culture would, like a majority of Hebrew culture and majority of the Old Testament is very transcendent. Right. God is not only responsible for the good in the world, but he's also responsible for the bad.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: When God regrets making Saul king. Right. And anoints David. Remember, David's anointing is actually in private. Mm -hmm. It's only Samuel and David's family that experienced that moment. And when God is ready to be done with Saul, the text says, and God released an evil spirit upon Saul. Mm -hmm. Not only is God responsible for the good things that happen in the world, God's also responsible for the bad things. So Hebrew culture absolutely and tradition ends up in a very um transcendent view of god right but i think it's much more imminent than a greek view mm. because think greek greek views come out of plato's idea of the forms right everything is transcendental
0: yeah, no, that's very true.
1: Everything is transcendent. It's happening up there. Everything right. that's happening down here is some weird, skewed version
0: of the ultimate reality. Yeah. Just for clarification, if you're not familiar with Plato's uh, forms idea, yep. there is this. He's making the argument there is a for everything that exists, there is a perfect a perfection a, yep. a perfection that lives in some sort of transcendent in place. an
1: ulterior reality. Yes. Up there, somewhere.
0: There is something like this that is perfect.
1: So, so Plato would say, like this chair, mm-hmm. in the forms, there's a reality of the perfect chair, mm-hmm. of which this is only a mild distortion of. Right.
0: Um, so with the Greeks coming with that idea to the idea of God,
1: there God's has who- to
0: be a transcendent, perfect thing
1: here god's uber transcendent god is the ultimate form in in a greek culture god would never meet his people on a mountain Mm. that that wouldn't happen god would not do that um and even if he did it'd be very strange um so like think about the temple of zeus and those kinds of things Mm. like very few people have access to that right um Yeah, just Greek culture is very much so more transcendent in their view of God than Hebrew culture. Now, Hebrew culture is much more transcendent than I am, right? Um, on this side of everything, but yeah, I think the way you view God in in the spectrum of transcendence and eminence. Um, however you do that, it literally, I mean, it affects everything.
0: Now, can I ask a question?
1: Anything you want, buddy.
0: If there is this, and we've set up that is a sort of spectrum of transcendence and imminence, do you think that God moves himself along that spectrum?
1: 100%.
0: Depending on the moment and what needs to happen?
1: Oh, no, no, no. So I don't think it's subjective like that. I think progressively, from the beginning of the story, I do think God found himself in in Genesis 1. I think God is the most transcendent that he's ever been. I think as the story progressive, God slowly limits himself more and more as he longs for a more intimate relationship with his people. Um, so, for instance... Here's a great example of this god's self limitation where's the first time we ever see it in the Bible
0: uh, would be the fall right genesis three
1: so where where does God limit himself in the fall? how so
0: um Because he would be limiting his knowledge. I would think he would have to be to not um, intervene to stop the sin from entering the world.
1: Right? Well, oh, so he's at least limited himself in In, in that he's given them free will. Right. Yeah, yeah. There's some level. That's actually a really good point. That's not what I was thinking of, but you are right. Yeah. That would be God's first instance of self-limitation the fact that he gave free will
0: right the fact that sin exists is is, ooh. the fact that sin exists is an example of god's self-limitation
1: uh i would actually say i i think i would agree with that uh it is almost midnight i i want to think more about that But I actually don't disagree with that interpretation.
0: Sitting here right now thinking about it, I think that makes sense.
1: The story, yeah, I I actually think I agree with you. The story I was thinking of is once the construct's been built after the fall, Mm. where do you think we see God's self-limitation for the first time? I don't know. Noah. Oh! God literally tells Noah he's going to limit himself. That he will never again destroy the world by water. Yep. Like, literally, that is God's Mm -hmm. self-imposing limitation upon what he is capable of doing. Yeah. For, and what's his reason? For relationship with humanity. Mm -hmm. So to answer your question, yeah, I I think as the story progresses, God has continued to limit himself to the point where that reaches its ultimate conclusion in the person of Jesus.
0: And then beyond in the Holy Spirit.
1: In what way is the Holy Spirit uh, an embodiment or a realization of the self-limitation?
0: I'm sorry, not the self-limitation part, but, well, yes, no, ac- actually, I do think so. Not the self-limitation, but the, necessarily, but the the, the more eminence piece Right, he becomes more and more oh, imminent yeah, yeah. on the scale. Yes, much right. more imminent in, in the from, fact that
1: he's literally taken a piece of himself right. from up there and embodied it in people down here. Right. Yeah, a
0: hundred percent. That is, I feel like I, I that tracks with what you're saying about moving yourself further on the scale. A hundred percent Yeah.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. I think as the story has progressed and unfolded, God has continually chosen to limit more and more of himself as the story progressed to the point where I think God has reached his ultimate place of this kind of happy medium where he is yet all powerful and capable of doing all of these things, which means that when the time comes that he needs to pick up all of his power in order to right all of this wrong, that's available to him. Yeah. But in the meantime, in the meantime, which I would also say is an element of God's knowledge. Right. Because what I think is I think God is up up there watching the world unfold. And like I say in every moment, my personal view is I don't think in any given moment God knows exactly what choice we're going to make. But I, know, but I think that God knows all the possibilities of every choice we would ever make and what those, what those choices will yield in possible choices. Mm-hmm. And I think God's waiting to reconcile the world until he looks at the world and goes, this moment, this moment is the moment where the most people are going to experience restoration, And whenever that happens, God has at his disposal to pick up all of the power that he's laid aside in order to right the wrongs of the world. But until then, Mm. God has chosen to limit himself because, as we're told from the beginning of the story, the thing God wants more than anything His relationship with his people. The people whom he loves and made in his image. And so God has limited himself so that he can do that more fully.
0: And the end of the story is God's ultimate eminence with
1: us. Ultimate eminence with us here right on his creation, righting the wrongs of Genesis 3 and returning the story back to chapters one and two, um,
0: where we d- can walk freely with him. With him,
1: yeah. I don't think. I don't think heaven is going to be streets of gold and pearly gates. Um,
0: neither here nor there.
1: I do think that there will be a temple. Yes. Uh. Yeah. Um, in which God will dwell. But I also think that. I'm a panentheist. I I believe that God thinks that the earth and himself are somehow connected. Not one and the same. I'm not a pantheist, Right. But I am a panentheist. And I think there's an element of worshiping God that comes in exploring, valuing, and participating in the things of his creation that he gave for us. That is the story of Genesis, the second half of Genesis 1, and a large part of Genesis 2. Um, I don't think we're going to be sitting around all day singing Kumbaya. I think there will be work to do. I think there will be things happening, but I think all of it will be embodied in the truth that for finally, the hope that we've been longing for and the truth of the realization is that it will be in that moment that we as people of faith Get to experience the fullness of divine likeness of being in relationship with our creator.
0: And I don't think that anybody would necessarily disagree on that point. Um, I think that this is a conversation that creates lots of questions and people might have lots of problems with. Yeah. Um, Because it's a hard conversation. It is. This is a conversation that was kind of meant to spark these questions inside of you to help you start deconstructing that's absolutely um, what it was yeah that was the whole point of the series mm-hmm. um and guess or, what
1: or just to show you that there are other ways to do this mm-hmm. without needing the great puppeteer right we, which i guess is the same thing of it, what you just said yeah
0: and it did that for me um Cullen and I have had many, many conversations off-air about this. Oh,
1: so, so much off-air time and beer has been had wrestling these things with Clayton.
0: Yeah, I've struggled with this a lot, and um, I will tell you, I I feel like I have come to a place where I think I believe, but that's neither here nor there.
1: Now, I do have, I have one question. Okay. Do you feel like the place that you've landed, do you feel like your faith is stronger or worse off?
0: I feel like the place that I have landed has created more questions mm. um, I'm still struggling with like the ethic of God peace oh, while yeah. while still struggling with God's knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, which understanding that has also helped me with the ethic thing a little bit. Yeah, I
1: don't know that the ethic thing ever goes away. Yeah. It's not gone for me. So I'm really
0: struggling with that. Yeah, 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 I that, get that is the thing that is making my faith so difficult right now, yeah. is the ethic of God, not his knowledge piece. Yeah. Because I can always hang my hat on the fact, and this is where I was going, no matter where you land on this conversation, and I feel like there's going to be just about everybody listening is going to have a different view. Mm-hmm. Um, wherever you fall in this conversation, doesn't matter if we can all agree that the ultimate piece of what all of this is, is for God to reach ultimate eminence with us mm-hmm. right? and be in community and in a relationship. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that anybody would disagree with that. I don't think so. I think we can all come together and agree on that piece, at
1: least. And do you feel like where you've landed, at least on the knowledge of God piece, makes that a better realization for you than the than the construct you had prior to this conversation? Oh, absolutely. Yeah that that's the goal of deconstruction. Now, also say I want to comment on your thing, your comment oh. about the ethic of God, because I do think that's relevant to a conversation about God's knowledge. God's knowledge. Great. Um, okay. I believe that God is all knowing. I believe that God has chosen to limit that knowledge. Mm-hmm. And since I believe in a progression of limitation in God, the thing that I will say that's been helpful for me is I don't know at what point God knew what. Right. And so, therefore, I can't know why God chose to make the decisions that he made. Or, depending on where your kind of view of scriptures and inerrancy are, Mm -hmm. why God allowed certain things to happen. Yeah. But the thing that settles the ethical question for me is because no matter what, the same God that did the ethical things that I'm concerned with, that I don't like, gave me Jesus. Is the same God that gave me Jesus. Yeah. Um, I can put up with a lot of crap. Because we have Jesus. Because that same God gave me Jesus.
0: Yeah. The thing for me that did wrap with the, the knowledge of God piece that helped me with God with understanding God's ethic um, or is beginning to help me, let me say it that way, is the fact that this may have happened out of God's self-limitation.
1: Mm, 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 you know what I
0: mean? like. Yeah. This is a sacrifice that we have made to be in relationship with our Creator. Yeah. This is something that has happened, not necessarily through God's fault, Mm -hmm. but through His self limitation of trying to be in community with us. Yeah. That's what's, that's kind of where I've started going in the ethic of God. I'm not sure I'm sold to that idea. Yeah. But that's kind of might be where I'm headed.
1: There are lots of ways to try to reconcile that. And I'll be honest, even even our friend Andrew Barrett, who between him or Kyle Dobbs, which is a longtime friend of mine um, that has never been on a podcast, which I actually this probably I need to make that happen, actually. Um, he'd be great. Oh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to bring Kyle on um, Practicing Presence to do a, a series on A.W. Tozer. He freaking loves A.W. That'd be dope. So, yeah. But the, they are my two most conservative friends theologically. Both of them will tell you. They don't have great answers for the ethical questions of the Canaanite conquest. I, I don't, I, as much as our dad is sold mm. on his reading of it, I don't think he would tell you it's a great answer to the issue. Like, I think he would tell you, even even still, like, there are problems with that reading. Mm -hmm. I don't think any of us are going to be able to answer that question fully. And that's why I I tell people all the time I've read more books than I've ever read. I have more college hours than I've ever had in theology. I also feel like I got more questions about God than I've ever had in my life. But. I can live comfortably in that freedom because that same God gave me Jesus.
0: It's the C.S. Lewis thing, man. Like, we're a line trying to understand a cube. Um, it does not make those ethical questions go away.
1: Not at all. Um, and those questions are related to God's knowledge. Don't they Don't think are. they're not.
0: They are. It does not make those questions go away. But it does... It is good to always fall back on the Jesus piece right like whether God knows all of these things or not or whatever mm-hmm. he knew at some point depending on where you want to put it in the story at some point he knew we needed Jesus yep um and I'm cool he knew we needed grace. He knew we needed salvation, and I'm cool with chilling there. Um, I want to understand deeper and like have my own thoughts on this. But like, all that—that's all you really need to know. You know, like, I—I I th- I think that deconstruction is helpful, and understanding why you believe these things is also helpful. But also, I think that there is an element of childlike faith that sometimes could be helpful for some.
1: You remember um, a couple episodes, we were talking about um, the the tradition that I could come up with that had the most transcendental elements of their faith, mm-hmm. which was the Calvinist or the Reformed tradition, mm-hmm. because there's a comfort in resting in the fact that God is the one on the hook for salvation. My version of that in my theological construct is that there's a lot of freedom in being able to rest in the truth that I got a lot of questions that I don't know the answer to, but I also don't have to know the answers because the only real answer I need to know is found in the truth of the person of Jesus Christ.